Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Welcome again to South Valley. My name is Ricky Hemi. It's great to have you guys with us for our Advent series. Next weekend is our candlelight services, so I'm super excited for that. Hopefully you're, you're planning to be here. We got some great things in store for you as we wrap up our Advent series, Emmanuel. And just as a reminder, Advent is this wonderful time of year where we bring our attention and our reverence to the birth of Jesus and the true meaning of the Christmas season. It's a time where Christians from around the globe, they, they pause and they reflect on the hope and the joy and the love that Jesus Christ came down to secure for us. And throughout this series, we've been using the book of Hebrews to piece together a portrait of Jesus. We've been trying to answer the question, if, if Jesus is God, why did he become a man? And we chose this book, Hebrews, because you'd be hard-pressed to find a greater Christology in all of Scripture than the one presented here. It's written as a sermon to call attention to the supremacy of Jesus Christ. It's a commentary on the Old Testament explaining why Jesus had to come and all the ways that Jesus is superior to everything in the past. He's superior to the angels. He's superior to the prophets. He's superior to the priests. He's superior to the sacrificial system, the entire temple, Jesus is supreme. And we learned last week that there was a temptation among the Hebrews to go back to the old ways, to come back under the law. And so Hebrews is written to draw attention to how much better Jesus is than these old ways. He's a guarantee of a far better covenant. And so with that in mind, we're going to be going through a really challenging passage this morning. It has a lot of Old Testament references in it. So I'm just warning you up front before we jump into it. There is no milk today in this sermon. It is all meat. So I hope you came hungry because it's all meat today. And, and I think that this is appropriate. Because Hebrews, if you recall from one of the earlier sermons, he's, he's encouraging the people saying, hey, you guys should have been ready for meat a long time ago, but I still have to give you milk. You should know the Old Testament prophets and know the Old Testament promises and know who Jesus is and what he came to accomplish. You should be able to explain it and teach it to your family and teach it to your friends and teach it to your kids. But for some reason, I'm still having to give you milk and you're not ready for solid food. And so now he's shifting gears. He's all right, we're done talking about the milk. It is time for some solid food. So you better be ready to dive into the word because that's what Hebrews is challenging us to do this morning. So I'm gonna pray for us and we'll jump into this passage. Will you guys pray with me? Father God, I just want to say thank you so much for today. I want to thank you for such an amazing time of worship, that amazing new song, Emmanuel, uh, that takes hold of that promise that you gave through Isaiah, that you would send a rescuer, that you would send a savior, and that you would name him God with us. 
Jesus, we reflect on the fact today that you didn't have to take on flesh. You didn't have to to, to come and, and suffer and die, but you chose to leave the majesty and the riches of heaven to take on flesh, to be born in a manger, to be tempted as we are, to go behind the curtain on our behalf, to die on a cross for our sins so that we may be made alive, so that we might have access to heaven, access to Father God. And so we just declare that 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 is the true meaning of the Christmas season. Speak to us this morning. Help us to fix our eyes on you, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in your name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Over the past three weeks, we've been painting a portrait of Jesus. The question we've been answering is, if Jesus is God, why did he become a man? Well, today we have three additional characteristics to add to our Jesus portrait characteristics out of Hebrews 6. The first is that Jesus came to be our anchor in the heavens. Listen again to Hebrews 6, 19. It says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. That's the Holy of Holies. God's presence was cut off by this curtain into the Holy of Holies. A a, a priest could only enter into there one time a year and he had to do all these rituals before he could go in there. And it was a pattern of a heavenly sanctuary. And he says this, 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 this anchor that we have has gone behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, some of you are here in this passage, you're like, what? Who's Melchizedek? This is a really bizarre passage. Now, in in order to understand what's going on here, we need to rewind to about 2000 BC, to the book of Genesis. In Genesis 14, there was a great battle between two sets of kings, five Canaanite kings versus four Mesopotamian overlords. And the campaign culminated in a battle in the, the Siddim Valley and Abram's nephew Lot, you guys might remember his nephew Lot, who was living in Sodom at the time, was captured and carried off. And so when Abram, who was later named Abraham, when Abram was informed of Lot's capture, he and his men pursued four kings to Dan where they recaptured Lot and they chased the fleeing forces away. And upon returning, a very special, highly revered king named Melchizedek met Abram and his forces in the King's Valley to refresh him and to bless him. A really interesting, kind of just a blip on the radar. So it's Genesis 14. Here's the stories, verse 17. After this return from, after his return from defeat, the defeat of Chedorlaomer, that's quite a name, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of most high God. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram, the God by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So that's the passage. Very brief. 
And so the obvious question here is, he's trying to give us the meat, right? That's why Hebrews is written, give us some meat. And so he goes back to the book of Genesis and he tells the story of Melchizedek and how Jesus is a type of Melchizedek. And so the obvious question we have to answer because many of us don't ever talk about this, it is who in the world is Melchizedek? Well, what you need to know about Melchizedek is he's only just a blip on the radar of the biblical story. His name is mentioned once in the book of Genesis. And then it's mentioned once a thousand years later by King David in the book of Psalms. And then it's mentioned once again, a thousand years after that in the book of Hebrews. So who is this Melchizedek? Why is he important to the Christmas story? Well, the simple answer is that he was priest of God most high. His name means king of righteousness. His name comes up from two Hebrew words, Melech, which means king, and Sedek, which means righteousness. He is king of righteousness. He's also priest, king and priest of Salem. Salem is a shortened version of the word shalom. You guys know what the word shalom means? Peace. You've probably been greeted with that word, maybe by a rabbi or or a Jew. Shalom. Shalom is the shortened version of of uh, or Salem is 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 a version of the word peace. Salem is also the ancient city of Jerusalem, the ancient site of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is Yarush Shalom, the city of peace. So Melchizedek is a priest and a king over the city of Jerusalem before Jerusalem was even what we know it as today. He's a king of righteousness, king of peace, king of God's holy city, a priest of God most high. He has a massive resume. Are you starting to see how he reflects Jesus to come? Jesus is our prince of what? He's our prince of peace. He's king over God's city. He's king of righteousness. He he is the fulfillment of everything good that God promised through the prophets. Well, this Melchizedek is such a big deal that Abraham, known as Abram at the time, who is the father of the Jews. Okay, when you think of the Old Testament, there are two, you know, OGs that really get a lot of respect in the Old Testament. Abraham and Moses. Those are the OGs of the OT. Okay, those are them. Abraham, the the real OG of the Old Testament, tithes to Melchizedek. He wins this war and he takes the spoils of the war and he goes to Melchizedek and he is blessed by Melchizedek, which means Melchizedek is greater than Abraham because you only receive a blessing from somebody who's greater than you. And then he tithes a tenth of his war spoils to this Melchizedek. And so the big idea is that Melchizedek is a priestly king who serves as a type of Christ. He foreshadows a greater priestly king who would break through the veil that separates us from God and remain there on our behalf forever. That is what Jesus Christ came to do. These are some of the things where we talk about the lacquer on the Christmas story, right? We keep the Christmas story very very elementary level, but sometimes we need to get some meat. We need to get some potatoes with this story. And this is what Jesus came to do. There was a curtain, a veil separating us from God. No one could go through that veil and get into God's presence. None of us could stand in the presence of a holy and righteous and just God. We are sinners by nature and by choice. 
And even all the Old Testament prophets and all the Old Testament priests and all the Old Testament system, none of it could perfectly bring us into the presence of God. So Jesus came to do what no one else can do. He came to bring us to the Father. Can I get an amen? That's the message of Christmas. That's what we're talking about here. Last week we learned that the eternal son of God is the captain of our salvation. You might recall that we talked about the fact that Jesus left his home in the heavens, came to earth in order to chart a path back to heaven. That's what captains do, right? They chart a path from one land to the next. Well, Jesus came to chart a path from one realm to the next. And the only reason he knows where heaven is is because that is where Jesus is from. He came from heaven to earth in order to bring a family with him back to heaven. And now that Jesus and his work is done on the cross, now he resides forever in the sanctuary of heaven, anchoring us to the Father. Jesus leads his people. He goes before them and he prepares a way for them to follow. He's gone into the inner sanctuary and this is not an earthly sanctuary of the temple in Jerusalem or tabernacle that traveled with the Israelites where a priest could enter one time a year and then that priest only served for a term and then a new one would rise and serve for a term. But Jesus went into the actual sanctuary of heaven itself, the heavenly court where God is worshiped and praised by millions and millions and millions of angels by all of the saints, the place that we would never have access to because of our sin. He went into that curtain. He tore, tore the, the curtain that separates us from God. And now he resides there forever in our place as our anchor, keeping us attached to the Father because of what he came to do in his flesh on Christmas day. You guys see this? The picture here about Jesus being our anchor is that we're attached to him as though by a great metal cable. Jesus serves as the anchor of our souls. He's the one who will forever keep us drifting from God. He's there right now in this very moment in the presence of God like an anchor and as long as we don't let go of that cable that connects us to Christ, as long as we don't let go of him, we are forever anchored to the presence of God. This also means that anything that you need as a believer, if you bring it to Jesus, it goes directly to the Father. He hears you, he responds to you, he loves you. Prayer changes everything because Jesus is right here, right now, in this moment, anchoring us to the heavenly courts and in heaven, God, God could do whatever he wants. And that's what we ask, you know, may, may uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You have direct access to God the Father because of Jesus, who is your anchor in the heavenly places. Can I get an amen? This is great news. This is just a side note. I wasn't gonna say this, but the other night I was, I was talking my kids down for bed and they had a rough day. And what I love about the holidays is I love all the fun and the sugar and the, the lights and, the, and all of that. And what I hate about the holidays is all the fun and the sugar and the lights and the, all of that, right? So sometimes at the end of the night, I put the kids down for bed and it's just like, like they have just been on, they've been sensory overload all day long. 
and they get sugar at school and they get sugar at home and they get sugar at dance and they get sugar at the bike track and they get sugar from you know, random people at church and they get sugar, sugar, sugar. And then they start making bad choices and they start being mean to each other and they say things that they shouldn't. And I remember I was tucking Johnny in for bed two nights ago and uh, Johnny had a really rough day. And it makes me sad thinking about it. But you know how sometimes you do things you wish you wouldn't do and you try to change those things. You don't wanna make the same mistakes. You don't wanna be that same person. And, and I, I could sense Johnny had been getting in trouble for two days and it was just over and over. And I could sense he didn't want to keep making those choices. And so he finally in, in bed, he's like, dad, I don't know how to change. I don't know how to stop. I keep trying and I can't stop. And I, I don't wanna say those mean things, but the mean thing comes into my head. And then when it comes into my head, it comes out of my mouth and then I can't take it back. And then, and then I, get, I, I don't know how to stop. And so I had to teach Johnny and Blake in that moment. You know how you stop, Johnny? You know how you stop, Blake? You pray to Jesus. Because he's in the sanctuary. And he'll bring whatever you're dealing with, he'll bring it to the Father. And the Father will give you strength and grace and mercy in your time of need. That's what our message is about next week, by the way, for candlelight. I hope you bring your friends. It's gonna be an awesome time to remember that when we come to the throne of grace, because Jesus resides there and has made a way for us to get to the throne of grace. When we come to the throne of grace, we aren't left wanting, we aren't left waiting, we aren't left rejected. We get help in our time of need. That's what the book of Hebrews is written to teach us. Jesus is there to help us. He is our anchor in the heavens. This is possibly the most encouraging word picture in the entire Bible. It's a reminder that all the winds and all the tides and all the storms of life, they can't break us, they can't shift us if we hold on tightly to Jesus Christ. The other thing I had to tell Johnny is, look at Johnny, it doesn't matter how many times you mess up, you will always be forgiven by your dad. You will always be forgiven by Jesus because Jesus paid it all. And so you don't need to beat yourself up. You can let it go when you bring it to Jesus Christ. Some of you need to let things go today. Jesus has done it. He is representing you perfectly. And he is your anchor. Now, I love this illustration because uh, an anchor is, is something that keeps a ship safe and secure at a desired location. Anchors also help control the ship during bad weather. And uh, I, I learned this um, when you're at Lake Powell. Some friends and I went to Lake Powell. And if you've ever seen Lake Powell, it's a, it's a beautiful lake and it's so amazing and so smooth and big old walls of rocks around. And we, got to, we had so much fun wakeboarding and you know, surfing and jumping off the cliffs and doing all this great stuff. But, but I, I was told that, that massive storms will come out of nowhere in Lake Powell. And so you gotta be ready for it. And that, that happened to us. We're, we're having a great day. Then this massive storm comes out of nowhere, this thunderstorm and lightning and waves and wind and just a perfect day. And then all of a sudden it's, it's just, 
crazy and chaotic. And so we had to find a cove somewhere where we can be kind of protected from the storm. And then we had to put our anchor down because we couldn't keep, you know, moving forward in the waves because our boat would have sunk. It was that bad. And it was just in a moment, the storm hit us. And in the storms of Lake Powell, as I was thinking about this passage, the storms of Lake Powell serve as a great example of how quickly life can change. One moment, everything's great. And then the next moment, everything's flipped on its head. One moment, you're making plans for an amazing 2020. The next moment, you are locked in your house with two little kids trying to figure out another way to entertain them for the day. Wondering what's going to happen to your 401k, wondering what's going to happen to your job, wondering what's going to happen to your house, wondering what's going to happen with the future. One moment, everyone's healthy. The next moment, you get some hard news from the doctor. One moment, you're running around, you're playing with your kids, life is good. The next moment, you're struggling just to walk. One moment, everyone you love is right there by your side. And the next, somebody is missing. It's how fast we are hit by the storms of life. Some of you have been hit by those storms this year. Some of you have been knocked down this year. Some of you went from a mountain high to valley low within a matter of days. That is life. And so when the storms of life crash upon you, you need a solid, dependable anchor because life can be hard. Life can change rapidly. When life becomes hard, when tragedy strikes, when suffering hits, you need something strong, something secure to keep you grounded. When the overwhelming currents of pain or regret or shame seek to sweep you away, you need something that could help you keep fastened to the God of creation. You need an anchor. And here's the problem with humanity is humanity relies on a lot of terrible anchors. Busyness is not a reliable anchor. Alcohol, not a great anchor. Seeking the approval of others, not a great anchor. Running from your problems and trying to start over new and as if your skeletons out of that closet won't follow you to the next, not a great anchor. Energy crystals and horoscopes, not great anchors. There are a lot of false anchors out there and we see it all the time with people. They go through hard things, life hits them with a storm and instead of leaning into the one who can hold them and secure them and keep them firm, they actually turn their back from him and they rely on these false anchors and because they are not anchored, they get tossed to and fro by the waves and life doesn't get any easier, it just gets harder. But when you belong to Jesus and you're anchored to him, it doesn't matter what hits you, it doesn't matter how hard it is. It doesn't matter how much you wish it wasn't there. Jesus Christ has you held in his presence. He is firmly rooted, grounded, anchored in the heavenly, in the heavenly realm. And he will give you grace for today, grace to supply you with whatever you might be going through. It may fill over your head, but it is under his feet. He's our anchor. He's done the work on our behalf. 
And so all we have to do now is hold on to him. Which leads to point number two. Jesus is our great high priest. That's the second Jesus portrait we have in this passage. He says, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first by translation of his name, king of righteousness. Then he is also king of Salem, that is king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the son of God, he continues a priest forever. Okay, here we go again, round two with the meat and potatoes. No more milk, just meat and potatoes. By the way, I just got to visit uh, a dairy for the first time a couple weeks ago. Johnny Serpa invited us over and, uh, and we had a delicious lunch. And uh, speaking of Johnny, he was asking if he could milk a cow and drink that milk right there on the spot. Um, and I said, no, Johnny, you had meat and potatoes. You're good. So no more meat and potatoes or no, no more milk right now. We're talking meat and potatoes. Okay. Uh, in the old Testament, God established a system of worship that served as a copy and a shadow of what is a reality in heaven. This system included a tabernacle, which was a tent that could travel with the Israelites and people camped out on certain sides. There was a temple, a sanctuary, ceremonial laws, various courts, altars, uh, washing ceremonies. And then there were qualified priests who, who ran the temple, who ran the tabernacle and made the sacrifices. And under the old covenant, there were three orders of priests. There was the high priest. There was one guy who would serve as the high priest. Then there were other priests. There were lots of priests who served as like mediators between God and, and men. And then there were the Levites who were like servants in the courts. Priests, if you recall from the Old Testament, were male descendants of the tribe of Levi. High priests were male descendants of Aaron, the brother of Moses. And so if you recall, Jacob, so there's Abraham, there's Isaac, and then there's Jacob, and then Jacob is renamed what? You guys remember? Israel. And Israel has how many sons? 12 sons. All those sons get an inheritance in the land, the promised land of Israel, except for the tribe of Levi, because the tribe of Levi, their inheritance is the priesthood. That's their inheritance. Well, the chief functions of the priesthood were centered on the temple. They looked after the ceremonial vessels they performed the sacrifices, and in, in doing their duties, they dressed in special symbolic garments. They were also teachers passing on the sacred traditions of the nation. The high priest was the spiritual head of Israel. He had a special function like entering the Holy of Holies once a year during the Day of Atonement. The Levites assisted the other priests and served the congregation in the temple. They sang the hymns. They kept the temple courts clean. They helped to prepare certain sacrifices and offerings. And they also held a teaching function. Well, Jesus is a priest not after the order of the Levites. Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Because what tribe does Jesus belong to? This is an important thing to point out. Do you guys remember what tribe Jesus belongs to? The lion of the tribe of what? Judah. The tribe of Judah could not inherit the priesthood. You had to be a Levite to inherit a, the priesthood. And in fact, uh, 
A king couldn't be a priest and a priest couldn't be a king. Jesus, though, is different because he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek, meaning that he is a king and a priest who belongs to a superior priesthood. So here's an important question for you. Did Melchizedek come before or after the, the Levitical priesthood? What do you guys think? Did he come before it? Raise your hand if you think he came before it. Raise your hand if you think he came after the Levitical priesthood. And then, uh, then uh, you know, 300 of you decided not to vote, but okay. <laughs> this is an important detail here. Melchizedek was priest of Salem over 600 years before the Levitical priesthood, okay? So Melchizedek was priest before Abraham even had a son. And in that sense, all of Abraham's sons paid tribute to Melchizedek. He belonged to a superior priesthood. Jesus belonged to a superior priesthood. The reason Jesus can be our priest, even though he's not a Levite, is because he is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And this is good news because that order is a superior priesthood. Jesus is not just our priest, he is also our king. David talks about this a thousand years later in Psalm 110. He says, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are priests forever after the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus took on flesh, was born in a manger in order to become our perfect prophet. We talked about that week one. Our perfect priest. We talked about that last week and our perfect king, we're talking about that here today. He is the word of God, the lion of the tribe of Judah and priest of God most high. The Old Testament priesthood, here's the big idea, is perfectly fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And for us, we might be thinking like, okay, that's great. But for the Jews back then, they were tempted to go back to the old system, to come back under the law. There are Christians today who are tempted at times to come back under the law as if the law, as if doing right can get us into the presence of God. What the law showed is that it, we couldn't get into the presence of God on our own. So Jesus came to do for us what we can never do. And so Jesus is the guarantee of a better covenant, a better system. We are not called to go back to the old. We are called to fully embrace the new. So if you've ever wondered why we don't make sacrifices on Sundays, it's because Jesus is our sacrifice. If you've ever wondered why, when you read the Old Testament, why we don't participate in ceremonial laws, why I don't wear, you know, a fancy dress on stage, it's because I don't like wearing dresses, number one, but <laughs> number two, Jesus has fulfilled the law. If you've ever wondered why we don't pray to saints or why you don't call me a priest or a father, why you don't need a priest, it's because Jesus is our priest forever. Every priest before Jesus served for a term, but Jesus serves as priest forever. And here's the argument in Hebrews, why return to the old ways when the new is so much better? The old couldn't save, the old was imperfect. He says in Hebrews 10, four, he says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and of goats to take away sins. Jesus came to be our perfect sacrifice. 
The whole system pointed to a greater figure, the Son of God, born in Bethlehem, sacrificed on a cross at Calvary. Bethlehem happened so that Calvary could. Now Jesus forever intercedes for us as our great high priest in the presence of God. And here's what this means for you. This means that Jesus is in fact enough. Yeah. He's greater than anything this world could give you. Everything pales in comparison to him. Every system, every coping mechanism, every anchor, every savior, none of it will work except for Jesus Christ. What you need to know this Christmas is that you, more than, than you even realize maybe, you are in desperate need of Jesus Christ, your anchor in the heavens, your priest in the presence of God. You need Jesus and Jesus gladly offers himself to you. He is enough. He's greater. And when you're tempted to think that you need something better out there, you will be let down because Jesus is supreme. You don't need to add to your salvation. There's nothing you could do to take away from it. Jesus Christ is enough. And he's our, he's our perfect priest. And finally, number three, he is our king forever. When Jesus was born, you might recall that wise men from Babylon which is the home of who? This last series we did this, this series on, Daniel. You guys remember this? Daniel served as a wise man in the courts of Babylon. The wise men of Babylon were trained when in astrology. They, 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 they were trained to stare at the stars and to read the times through the stars. Daniel was given a vision of a son of man, one who would come one day and establish a king forever. Daniel is the one who would have prepared the wise men to be looking for the star over Bethlehem. And so when Jesus was born, we read that wise men from the east, from Babylon came looking for this king and they go to King Herod and they say to Herod, who is he who has been born of, where is he who's been born of the king, born, born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and we've come now to worship him. Herod didn't like that. Herod was so mad he killed all the firstborn babies in Bethlehem trying to kill Jesus. They missed Jesus. And then 33 years later, Jesus, he kept his, his kingship under wraps. He didn't reveal to everyone that he was the king until uh, Palm Sunday when he entered into Jerusalem as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world because he is our sacrifice and he is our priest. And he comes in showing himself to be king and the, the, the religious leaders of the day are angry that Jesus is claiming to be king. And so that is their charge against him. And so they stand him before Pilate and Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? Matthew 27, 11. Jesus says, you've said so. Doesn't deny it. Well, finally, if you were to read the rest of the story, you would read that they put the charge over Jesus's head on his cross. Matthew 27, 37, over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Jesus, our King, came to die in our place. What's so amazing about this is that when you think of the King of heaven, you wouldn't think of somebody born in a manger, you'd think of someone born in a palace. When you think of the Kevin, King of heaven, you wouldn't think of somebody who would endure mocking and spitting and beating and, and people coming after you and, and, and flogging you 
and crucifying you, you would think of somebody who's, who's, who's honored and praised and respected where all nations are bowing down. But Jesus came and he was born among animals. He was crucified among criminals to be our king of love, to make a way for us, to, to bring us back to the Father. He humbled himself and he allowed himself to be treated like the, like the scum of the earth, even though the, he is the king of all, he allowed himself to be treated like scum in order that you and I might be able to finally, fully be forgiven and set free and made alive and have hope in this life and have hope in the life to come. That is what Christmas is all about. Our king, it's not like other kings. See, other kings, they don't leave everything behind to go after the ones that they love. Other kings, they stay in their seat of honor. But our king has left that seat and he's come down to us and now he has gone back to that seat where he intercedes forever in our place. So three ways really quickly to apply today's message. Number one, obviously, is to hold on tightly to your anchor. I don't know if Christmas is a fun time for you or a sad time for you. I don't know if Christmas is a joyous time for you or a stressful time for you. But whatever you're going through, however you see this season, hold on tightly to your anchor. There are a lot of fake anchors out there. Jesus will sustain you. He will keep you strong. He will hold you firm that life may fill over your head, but all things are under his feet. Number two, embrace your calling as a Jesus representative. Jesus is our priest. And now he sends us off as his representatives in the world. We, we're, we're called now a, a royal priesthood, 1 Peter 2, 9. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Jesus saved you for a purpose, for a mission. He saved you so that you could go out and proclaim his good news, his gospel to a watching world so that others might be saved through you, your oikos. That's why this Christmas for Candlelight, we wanna encourage you, we got flyers out there, grab as many flyers as you want. We got like a thousand, over a thousand, grab as many as you want. We have our little Christmas tree up there. Write down somebody's name that you wanna to invite to candlelight service, pray over that name, hang it on the tree, be a representative for Jesus. And, number, and finally, number three, help us make much of Jesus this Christmas. The reason we have a special song, the reason we're doing our amazing uh, Christmas morning special, which I can't wait for you guys to see that with your families, it's gonna be awesome. The reason we do Thanksgiving offering and everything that we do is because we want to make much of Jesus during the holidays. And so I wanna encourage you as you have been doing, help us make much of Jesus this Christmas. Jesus is ministering on your behalf right here, right now. I'm gonna pray for us and then I'm gonna invite up. We get to close out service today with a song and, and baptisms. This is, these are our uh, last baptisms of the year, which is pretty amazing. Um, and so uh, we wanted to give them that opportunity. And, uh, and also, if, you, if you're feeling like, hey, dur during the song, if you're feeling like you need to pray with somebody over something, I'm gonna be right here. Come and, come and pray with me. I'd love to pray with you. So I'm gonna pray with, pray with everybody right now. And then Marcus and the team, they could get uh, ready to come up here on the stage to introduce the baptism. Father God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for sending your son. I pray God that we would fixate, uh, fix our eyes on him, that we would uh, keep our minds centered on our anchor, the one who holds us to you, Jesus Christ. And I know that there are people in this room today who are feeling overwhelmed who are feeling lost, who are feeling 
beat down by life, I pray that right here, right now, that they would confess their sins to you, they confess their fears to you, that they would they would respond to you in your amazing grace, that maybe right now, today, that they would give their life to you. Maybe they decide to get to, to, to trust in you, to get baptized at the second service, to, to declare, I am ready, I'm ready to do this, I'm ready to follow you. Lord, however you're calling us, we want to respond because you're worthy, you're worth it, we love you. Thank you for loving us. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.